Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Hey, listeners, welcome back to Resiliency. Silas and I are here today with our good friends, Jim and Kay Chandler. You know, Jim and Kay, our listeners today who are from our org love you guys. We honor you and just so thank God for your your being here among us and the way you've ministered for these years. You've served everybody faithfully from our pastoral care team here in Waco for seven plus years. And so while we know you, some, a lot of our listeners aren't at all from our organization, so why don't you just introduce yourselves and let us know who you are and what you do with us. Well, okay. Um, we have served overseas for a, a pretty good stint. Uh, I went overseas uh, in my mid-20s for a couple of years with a different org and, and felt God's call on me to serve in the nation. So came back to go to seminary for some training and met Kay, and Kay was already at this seminary, and we had a strong connection immediately because we were uh, both called to missions. Mm-hmm. So God led us to Taiwan to do what's called theological education by extension, which is taking theology outside of seminary walls and, and training in, in uh, churches and training more broadly uh, among more uh, lay people and so forth. Is a great idea. Uh, it was sort of short-lived because it uh, wasn't received by our national brothers particularly well. So we actually had to lay it down. But our call was not to that job. It was long-term. So we ended up uh, being there for uh, almost 30 years. And what was neat is in those last several years, we were able to actually do the things that we were actually called to do to train people at that level. So as we neared the 30-year mark, we just felt like God was saying it was time to go back to the U.S., uh, that our time in Taiwan was finished. But we knew that the call in our heart was still there. We still had a call to the nation, so we knew that when we came back to the U.S., we would want to be involved in some ways. And so God, in His providence, led us to Waco and led us to Antioch, and uh, we were able to, to be a part of the pastoral care team and also on the church planning team. So it's a real nice blend because we can be with the church planning students and then follow them onto the field and then continue to do pastoral pastoral care with them. Was it Susan Peters who introduced Mm -hmm. you guys to them? I thought so. As you said that, I was trying to think in what... Yeah, it was Susan. Yeah, it was in her doorway. You've got to meet these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we had been back all of... I want to say less than a month when we met you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you saw it as our, at our rawest. Well, I remember that a little bit, but you guys lived it. So uh, we kind of want to just talk about this whole thing of how much reentry matters. We want to talk about reentry matters and talk about how much, you know, reentering uh, in, in the healthiest way possible, at mm-hmm. least. It's, there's no perfect way, and it, it's challenging, period. But 30 years overseas. Mm-hmm. And then coming back to the U.S., it sounds. I remember just last. I think it was last year. 
our retreat, you were sharing a little bit about your reentry, and um, it it was a little rocky, wasn't it? It was rocky, definitely <laughs> rocky, <laughs> definitely <laughs> rough. Capital R, rough. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really interesting about that is, uh, unlike a lot of our folks who come back, we saw it well ahead of time. Uh, we actually had a lot of input into the timing of it and everything, and still rough. Uh, we are uber planners, so we had it all planned out. I finished up my stint teaching at an international Christian school, so we have this amount of time only before we pack up some things to ship back to the United States. So we're working hard at it in Taiwan, which is extremely muggy summer climate, kind of like Houston. Mm. And we just, um, unbeknownst uh, to me, I was absolutely depleted in so many ways mm. and, or just stuffed it down and ignored it. The day we moved into this temporary housing that we were in, it was an extremely hot day. And as soon as we put down the last thing, man, I had a major panic attack. Where'd that come from? And so we find out. And found you're out, still in Taiwan now? Yeah, we were still in Taiwan. House in yeah. Taiwan. Yeah. Did you and know it was a panic attack when it happened? I knew it was something. <laughs> um, I, it felt a lot like uh, what people describe as a heart attack, mm. but something didn't feel right. Yeah, it felt panicky. Mm. And so, I, uh, man, what do you do with that? You're just not ready for it. And uh, it turns out that uh, we found out later. I had very low serotonin levels uh, because of the stress and, mm-hmm. you know, all that sort of thing. And um, it was actually easy, fairly easily treatable once we figured out what was going on. But in the moment, all you got is panic. Mm-hmm. And so I had a friend there who was a doctor, and he said, okay, we'll put a Band-Aid on it. Here is some Xanax, uh, low dose. I'm going to put a Band-Aid on this, get it fixed when you get back to America. We weren't able to leave for a variety of reasons for another three months, so we had to tough Whoa. it out for three months. Mm-hmm. And That's a long-lasting uh, band-aid, I hope. <laughs> it, <laughs> man, it was it was uh, rough. And so, you know, these things, panic attacks. Uh, you know, it's a physical thing, but it's also an emotional thing mm-hmm. and a spiritual thing. And so, it, the the Xanax took care of the physical side to it, so that I could be calm enough to access the emotional side. And actually, the spiritual side to open up my Bible, read heavily into the Psalms and just all these great things. Uh, the tough part was in the middle of the night when you have one of these things. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just like you can't see it coming ahead of time and take anything for it. It's just there. Mm. And so, it's interesting that even though it would it'd be years before we met uh, the Bushers and learned about listening to prayer and ministry, the Holy Spirit downloaded into me he's just my best friend you know and he just downloaded into me uh the idea that if i can just get to truths about me and god and of course that means i'm also saying calling up lies that aren't true i would have to get Kay and wake her up in the middle of the night Kay, just please pray over me and tell me something that's just true about God and true about where we're heading and about our future. Mm-hmm. And so then she was just like in a groggy fog. Uh, she would get with me and she would, you know, quote scripture or find scripture or, you know, she would just say these things. And then I would start joining in and we sort of got through all of that. Yeah, I mean, just two things just stood out to me. Number one, you, you talked about that. There's a lot of questions when people talk about any medication related to our mental health, and yet you just said, 
Xanax, just a little low dose, enabled me to access emotions and it, you know, took the edge, I guess, off of the panic in the body so that I could access the soul and the spirit better. And so that's a good word. We don't just push medicine here, there, and everywhere. We, we, we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of, of physicians like you did. But that was a great word. And secondly, just that you two were so in sync and that you were able to just call out to, uh, to Kay in a time of need. Yeah, so it was pretty messy. And to add uh, to the K, uh, we was cleaning up our old apartment, and uh, she had defrosted the fridge, and there was a puddle of water on the floor, and she she wiped out and broke her arm. And so uh, she couldn't drive, and so it was necessary for me to drive on Xanax. Mm -hmm. And and I I still maintain that actually that's the best driving I ever did overseas. (laughs) I was so relaxed, you know, and all the, the hectic stuff. It just didn't get to me anymore. Well, our son was here at the time, and both of us thought, no, this is not good, because he, he was just looking out and chatting with us and not looking at the road. It was great. Yeah. Relax to the max. Relax to yeah. the max. Yeah. So we were just like quite a pair of managing. So we, we were literally kind of limping out of Taiwan mm-hmm. on, yeah. on fumes. So we landed at a church in... Uh, the Dallas area, and they provided us with a missions house. Unbeknownst to us, it was out in the country. I mean, it was really out in the country. It was 20 minutes to get to a convenience store. <laughs> and we were from the city, the and it, you know, we were used to the noise of the city and the activity of the city, and we got in the country, and it's like, what are we supposed to do here? Uh, it was so quiet. And then God, in his sense of humor... He knocked out our internet. He knocked out the the TV, and it was just total quiet. So he knew what we needed. We needed the quiet, and that drove us to him. And so we would spend four or five hours with Jesus in the morning, and then we'd say, oh, I don't have enough to cook supper with. I guess we need to go to town. <laughs> and, of course, we were still speaking in churches during this time, too. So yeah. that was that was life-giving. But just being in that isolation is what drove us to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just as a follow-up on the panic thing, I did go to a doctor who prescribed Lexapro, which helps with the serotonin uh, issue. And once that happened, I actually was able to wean off of Xanax very quickly and then, actually, Lexapro, uh, I was done with it uh, inside of six months. So we felt like God was asking us to move to Waco, and we tried a few churches, and and we met you, uh, Steve, at the just in the office building, and you invited us to the Thursday morning prayer for the missionaries, and that gave us a place to put our call. We were able to pray for people who were doing what our heart was connected to, and you know, we love doing that, but it also was just such a blessing to us. It lifted our spirits every week when we were able to come, and it was really a, a part of our healing that allowed us to move forward the way that God wanted us to. So one of the one of the biggest factors in reentry is transition. Mm-hmm. So your your reentry wasn't smooth, mm-hmm. and I'm sure then that some of your transitions were just as rocky. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about some of the transition problems or difficulties you faced. Well, you come back to America, and it's like, I should feel at home here, but it's just so different. (laughs) Uh, It's like you're a a stranger in a familiar place. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, culture, reverse culture shock is a real thing. You expect culture shock when you go overseas, but you don't expect it when you come back. But it is real, reverse culture shock. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is uh, you, you go out to the mission field with a very strong, specific call, and that call becomes a large part of your identity. Mm-hmm. It's how you think of yourself. It's how other people see you, or at least how you think other people see you. And uh, so that identity thing is 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 really really tough. Uh, you know, we we retired, and so we laid down a lot of stuff. But even coming back and trying to find a job that feels like a job instead of a ministry, that's mm-hmm. you know that's got to be pretty tough. Yeah. And, and then all those things, in addition to that, it's just so important to have something that's going right for you. And so the, the one thing that can really go right, even though the job may not be ideal or whatever, is community. We just really needed community. And the people who were in our previous community, people just move on with their lives, you know. How inconsiderate of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, everything changed. Even fam- family dynamics change uh, in the time that we were gone. My dad had passed away. Kay's dad, uh, mom had, had died, and her dad was in extremely declining health. And our kids uh, had both gotten married, so they had their own lives. And uh, one of them had already started you know, raising a family. And so they, of course, have space for us, but not the space we would love. And as we got to meet people, people are kind, you know, of course. But not everyone is able to hear your story. We're both pretty perceptive and we can see very quickly when people's eyes start to glaze over. <laughs> and so we're just going, okay, it's, I guess we near, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> this is as much as they can handle, as much as they can hear. And people mean well, but a lot of people will say, well, we need to get together and let's figure that out. But they don't figure it out. They don't get you know, their calendars open. It's the way it is. You can't be you know, upset about it. It's just the way it is. So... This is so unfair, but we have to initiate that. The returning missionary, yeah. the reentering missionary, it's kind of like I have to find my way back into, into the table. You know, I have to use my elbows and, and, and get back in. And it may take more than one gentle nudge to, you know, to find my place at the table. Yeah, it's a rare, it's the rare incident where somebody stateside has all that perceptivity. You know, I mean... Mm-hmm that awareness to know instead of you having to initiate as somebody returning from the field that, that you're being initiated with time and time again because people have their own lives as we always do. Even in the community, you know, now people drive into their garage and they shut the door and then you don't see them on the street. So it's really hard to, to meet neighbors and people don't seem to have the same culture where they invite others in to eat they have these great gourmet kitchens, but nobody ever actually right. invites anybody over to eat. Yeah. And so that's, that's something that's missing, which makes it harder to feel like you belong. Well, you talked about how in Metroplex area outside it, you were in this isolated situation. What about for those whom you've served through the years here as reentry overseers of our reentry care system that come into, instead of isolation, they just come into more of chaos and, and, you know, and noise, and they don't have that quiet isolation space where they can be with Christ Mm -hmm. four or five hours a day. Do you have any other best kind of top tips Mm -hmm. for people who are coming back, you know, transitioning back to the States? You've already mentioned several things. 
Yeah, for the one that comes, ones that come back to a really busy time, or, or chaos, and are they living with their family, and all yeah. their kids are there. Um, the parents are going to have to take turns just giving each other space to go out and spend yeah, time with Jesus yeah. and find things that are life-giving uh, that the kids maybe can play outside and you can just sit on a bench and be quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it, you have to tell your family what you need. Right. If you don't express what you need, they're not going to know. You know, some people might like to hear a little bit, little bit more, but they don't know what questions to ask. And there's, a ten, there's just a tendency for people who've gone overseas to be seen as these unassailable paragons of, of spiritual strength. Mm-hmm. And people just don't think that you have those same sort of needs that they have. And you just have to be honest and say, I'm just human. And I'm a pretty frail human right in this moment. So, you know, can you help me? Uh, there's a tendency, I think, uh, in this whole thing is, man, I just want it to be over with. I just want it to be over with. And, like and it's a problem to be fixed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we actually are so intent on that that we try to grow roots very quickly that God actually doesn't want us to have mm. at, the, at that moment, trying to get ahead of his timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like being physically settled is nice. It's really nice. We actually got into a house probably within about four months, house of our own within four months of getting back. And God in his goodness gave us a good house. If we had it to do over again, we probably would have taken a little more time mm-hmm. because we see things in the house now that had we thought about it more, had more time, we would have chosen better. Yeah. And that's word. probably common. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to be settled, but if God's sense of being settled uh, is different from physical settling. It's nice to put off the really big decisions like buying a house or some of those things. Or I would say even locating physically uh, what city do I need to be in or whatever. Uh, hold it lightly. God might have a different word for you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you need in order to move forward is to close the door to the past. By closing the door to the past, I mean just release any unforgiveness, any regrets. Someone told us, stop holding on to the if-onlys. Mm. If only this hadn't happened. If only known, I'd known more better principles about church planning, things would have, would have gone better. Or if only our teammates hadn't left. But if you keep dwelling on the if-onlys and you don't try to forgive the people from the past, it continues to be a wound in your heart that can't can't heal, and it keeps you from moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I begin to ask God questions like, how am I more like you because of what I've experienced? Or who else do I need to forgive? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Y'all mentioned, uh, you know, getting into community. Is there any, any other thing that comes to mind as far as Here's what we found to be sort of a a good thing to be thinking about. Well, the issue of community, you just cannot give up on finding a life group. Mm -hmm. You just can't do it. It it contains the roots that you're really looking for. Mm -hmm. And it can be discouraging. I think we need to be aware that probably when we're looking for that ideal life group, what we're looking for is the same kind of community we had overseas. Mm -hmm. The overseas mm-hmm. ex, expat community, especially Christian worker committee community, is a very intense and, and a very, very tight community that goes deep with each other. And it's, it's actually fairly rare. And it's, it's kind of tough 
when you come back and realize the kind of friendships that I want, well, they're still out in the nation somewhere. Or if they've come back, some of them have moved to other places. And so just recognize that and recognize that the life group may not be like the community you had there, but it's still the community God has prepared for you to minister in and to, and to just dive into. Uh, you know, we, we're in a life group that we really love, and we have grown to care for the things they care about. <laughs> At first, you know, we don't care about anything you care about. But, you know, it's, uh, our values haven't weakened, but at least we appreciate, okay, we know why they care about these things. Uh, there's whole, there are holes that they can never feel. They'll never quite understand what it's like the way another person who's lived overseas can understand us. Yeah. Even people who've lived in a different continent from us, we understand them and they understand us better than the, most of the people in our life group. Mm-hmm. It's not their fault. You can't fault them for not having your experience. And frankly, if it's one of the costs of you know, going to the nations, Jesus paid a big price for me. I can, I can pay that cost. Mm-hmm. And as for the gaps, you just... Allow God to fill in the gaps uh, that friends can't. Yeah. Uh, also, I feel like you need to be patient with yourself. Don't expect you to move faster than, than God wants you to move. There were times when I would go to the grocery store and just have a panic feeling, you know, especially if it had I needed to entertain. It was just such pressure. And our life group ate together every week. And the one who was hosting the group fixed the meal. They did all of it, mm. and it became my turn. And by then, the group had, had grown to 24, and it was like, I can't do this. I was scared to death. Mm. But I had to tell them, I just can't do this. So there's some things that are going to feel like a lot of pressure for you, but ask someone for help. Like, if going to get a cell phone feels like pressure to you, ask someone to go with you, someone yeah. who's experienced. Don't feel like you have to do it on your own. Get somebody to help you. Mm. And the other thing is just to fight for joy constantly. You know, just like Jim did when he had his panic attacks, you find out, you know, what is good about God's character. So fight for that joy. Remember who God is. Remember his character. And don't allow yourself to stay down in the dumps a long time. Although, you know, there may be times when you're not moving forward and you have to ask yourself, do I need more help? Can I do this myself, which is God, or do I need some professional help to help me? Do some counseling. Mm-hmm. That's worth considering if you continue to feel like you're not moving forward in the right direction. Yes. Yeah, that's good. So, Jim and Kay, as you guys said yes to an invitation to join our pastoral care team here at, at AMI in Waco, early on I said, you know, a, a great place of need is reentry care. And so invited you guys to pray about becoming the overseers of the reentry care system. And you guys have masterfully built that out over the years. So what are the key elements that we see as essential for, uh, you know, for people having a reentry care system? Well, I think one of the things that attracted us to Antioch is how well they undergird their missionaries. There were already things in place before we ever got here where missionaries were allowed to come back and talk about, very freely talk about, uh, all the, the goods and the bads and the, and the uh, ups and downs of missions life. And so that debrief is a very valuable thing. It's not the last thing that you're ever going to say about it, 
But just to be able to unpack it just solidly once, I think, is a big, big deal. So everybody makes an appointment uh, with their debrief person. Mm -hmm. You ask them questions, but just basically let them tell their story. There's power in telling the story. Right. Yeah. And then beyond that, we uh, are lining up every single returning person with what we call a reentry coach who is uh, committed to walk the first as much as two years with people. Sometimes it does take two years to uh, sort everything out. Absolutely. And, and in that, along the way, this person is their go-to person for some practical things, too. How do I set up a phone? But also, where, are, where am I on this ride back to normal? And how am I feeling today? On a scale of 1 to 10, where's my hope level? And that's key because you got to have hope. Yeah, they even have a guide that they can work off of that has those specific things on there just to help them. I was going to go back a little bit to some of the difficulties of transitioning. Mm-hmm. and ask a, So here I am, the counselor, asking an emotional question. And one of the things that triggered a thought was uh, talk about parents not knowing the questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And I think that something that I experience a little bit with people who have reentered are, is that feeling of, of loneliness and not being seen by mm-hmm. the people that have traditionally cared for them so well for so many years and now suddenly not feeling like they're, they're understood or known by their own, their own mom and dad or their family. And just wondered if you'd speak to that a little Well, it's definitely a grief. Uh, and recognizing that it's grief and it's normal is probably the most important. I talked to a friend who said, when we were lived here before, we were the ones that always hosted Thanksgiving. But now... My sister does it, and it feels like a loss to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether she could change it or not, she has to live with, you know, the results of them leaving. And so just recognizing that it's grief and asking God, how are you going to speak to me in this? Mm -hmm. And finding other things that give you joy. One of the hard things is that your loved ones, friends and relatives, mom and dad, they're, they're typical default position is isn't it great to be back home yeah you don't have all that pressure on you anymore of living overseas because you know when we when we come back we always kind of whine a bit about how hard it is and it is hard but aren't you glad to be back home well how do you honor them and still say frankly no this is really hard and there are day whole days whole maybe whole weeks where we just as soon not be here we'd rather be somewhere else right and it's hard not to be able to say that. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's kind of important to find other people that you can talk to uh, about it. Yeah, the reentry coach or just another uh, fellow missionary that's been overseas. May, almost everybody can find another missionary in their town to just kind of talk through their experiences together yeah. and mutually help each other. You guys said that when you came back after 30 years, you know, you still very much have a call to the nations. I mean, you still do. So what do you suggest that others might do to just to nurture that call when they're back, even though they may not be in ministry as a job anymore? Man, you know, we're, we're still called to the exact same thing. We were called to Matthew 24, 14 before we ever went overseas, right? To get people out to the nations so that uh, we can hasten the return of Jesus. Second Peter alludes to that also. We actually have a, a, a role to fulfill God's kingdom call and so that we can bring his kingdom back to earth. 
Uh, so when when you leave the field, you don't leave your heart for nations behind. That's almost like negating everything that you intended to do. And so when you come back, you just have to find ways to invest continually in the movement. Uh, so you can start a prayer shield for your old nation if one doesn't exist. If one does exist, jump into that prayer shield. It'll be the last thing maybe you want to do mm-hmm. because it's going to hurt to bring up these things all the time. But by actually getting outside yourself and thinking about others and investing in others, it's one of the healthiest things you can do. And it's just a, at a deeper level, it's still, you're still winning your nation for Jesus with what you're doing. When you're praying, uh, you're still loosening that soil for kingdom growth. Yeah. And so that doesn't uh, have, to, have to change. And you can also leverage your experience by investing in the next generation. Mm. You know, we want to continue to have people going to the field, and your experience can help other people mm-hmm. and to, to help them feel the call. Uh, recently retired people. Yeah. That's another good group of people who could go go overseas. Yeah. So you can still, in a sense, be a catalyst. You can still multiply kingdom growth uh, in that role. This room, the, for the four of us, that's exactly what we do. Right. It's, it's our deal, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are just a lot of ways. If you go on a short-term missions trip, you go not as just shepherding people, which you're more able to do than most people, but also you have your eyes going around, your head on a swivel. Who's the person who's really you know, intriguing to them? Single them out. Talk to them. Mm-hmm. Aim them towards some uh, somebody or counsel them themselves. Get them in the pipeline uh, to go to the nations because, you know, the, the laborers are still few right. and the harvest is ripe. Yeah. And so we have to be willing uh, to do that. So as we wrap things up, what would be the things that are on your heart that you'd want to share that we didn't, that we didn't think to ask? Well, uh, it's just another opportunity to go deeper with God mm-hmm. and learning to trust Him deeper through this and and you're you were changed when you were overseas but you're also changed when you re-enter because there are things that are revealed in you exposed through this process that need to be touched by God and so really truly another opportunity to go deeper with God and to learn to hear from him it's it's amazing it's those places of pain where you grow deepest with the Lord it's a great way to hear from him fresh and it's to get into the, the, the Buescher questions, you know, well, how do you want to encourage me today, Lord? What am I still holding on to in grief that's coming out in a different way that I'm not recognizing? And what it's like, God, what are you going to do about it? It's like he wants to do something about it and invite him to, to be your daddy and to, and to fix it for you. We are so grateful for, to mm-hmm. both of you for what you do, how you bless our, our missionaries and um, you have so much to give, and you continue to give it, and we're just thankful for you. And we just love for you to pray a prayer of blessing and impartation over our, our listeners if you close us out that way. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity to serve overseas. We know that you love all the people around the world, and you allowed us to be a part of that, about bringing people to to know you. And you continue to use us in our prayers to draw people to you. So we thank you for all the people that are listening. 
who've invested their life overseas but now find themselves back in the U.S. We pray that you would allow them to find a true connection with you here. Allow them to know you better, to know themselves better because of what they've experienced and how they've changed. And we do ask you, Father, to help them to find a place to place their call, uh, to not abandon it, but to still feel alive and invigorated by thinking about the nations and praying for the nations and investing in other people uh, who are considering going to the nations. We just love that our, our work is not done. Our work is never done, whether we're retired or just reentering the workforce. We, we just love that, Lord. We love that you have a place for us and something where we can look beyond ourselves and give ourselves to the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, you guys. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Okay, love you. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. That does it for this episode of Resiliency. You can follow us on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast. And so for now, I'm Silas West, and thank you for listening to Resiliency. Resiliency.